Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. This week in the Canadian Revolution, we are back. We didn't do the, as, as you all know, we didn't do the show last week. Uh, what I mentioned two weeks ago is that we had Fight Back, Ladipo Socialist, the, the, the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. We had our National Congress in Toronto. Uh, and yeah, it was wonderful. We had over 280 revolutionaries. It's the biggest in-person Congress, actually the biggest in-person event, I believe, that we've ever organized. The mood, uh, I mean, I can't can't even explain it, to, uh, to be honest. If you really, I really encourage you to go to our website. You can check out the Congress report there. Uh, yeah, and, and, and ultimately, uh, what this, what message that we are hoping to send with this is that uh, we are here, that socialists, that Marxists in Canada are here fighting for a new society, fighting against capitalist oppression and exploitation. Um, and yeah, so get involved uh, with us. But yeah, we are back this week. Um, this week we are going to be discussing uh, what is known as Bill 96 in Quebec, which was voted on about a week or so ago by the Quebec National Assembly. This is a bill, uh, if you haven't heard of it, uh, it's called An Act Respecting French, the Common and Official Language of Quebec. Uh, with me today, I have Julien Arsenault from the Ladipo Socialist Editorial Board, who is going to help us uh, understand what this law is all about. Hello, Julien. Bonjour, Joël. Ça va bien? Bonjour, bonjour. Um, so yeah, Bill 96 is basically an update to law, what is known as Law 101, which you've probably heard of. It's the famous uh, Quebec language law about the French language adopted in 1977 by the Parti Québécois government under René Lévesque. There's a lot of confusion on Bill 96 and on Law 101, actually, I would say. Is it progressive? Is it reactionary? Um, and so, yeah, we're going to get into that today. Uh, so, I don't know, Ju we have Julien with us. Uh, so maybe, Julien, can you help us, like, understand, like, maybe first off, what is this law? Can you help listeners and English-Canadian audience understand what this law is all about? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's a it's a pleasure for me to be here today. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think the first thing to start with is, yeah, what, what is this Bill 96 about? <laughs> And um, you know, on the on the symbolic side of things, it's it, it wants to amend the text of the Canadian the, the Constitution Act of, of Canada to recognize the, the fundamental characteristics of Quebec, namely its national character and French as the common language. But apart from this symbolic statement, uh, the law contain, does contain uh, uh, very controversial parts to it. Um, 
the the first one that is that is quite that has caused quite a stir is the fact that uh, basically uh, the um, they will implement measures to make sure that communication with uh, immigrant people uh, will be do- done exclusively in French uh, at the end of a six months period of being in Quebec. You know, it was justified by the by the minister in charge of this project, Simon Jean Barrette, saying, you know, the, the the principle of immigrants coming to Quebec is that they they need to be to to be spoken to exclusively in French. But when you think about it, like how can you ex- expect an immigrant to to be able to speak French after six months? That's just most people will tell you that's that's not possible. And then another part of the law is one that uh, limits the possibility of growth of English language sejaps, which if you don't know, sejaps is in the middle between high school and university. It's a thing that is specific to Quebec, but they want to limit the the the. Um, the increase of English students, of students to English sejaps to 8.7% a year, which is the weight of the English population of Quebec. And we saw recently actually the consequences of, of, of this, what, what, that, um, what are the results of this? For example, the, the Dawson College, which is one of these English sejaps, uh, there was a plan to, uh, to uh, aggrandize the sejap and it was canceled by the CAC government. And, and really when you think about it, uh, what does preventing the growth of Anglophone sejaps do to fund Francophone schools? Uh, it's presented by the CAC almost as a zero-sum game. But, uh, you know, in, I don't think preventing a sejap, anglo sejap from getting bigger, which is actually needed, uh, will help Francophone schools at all. And then there's, uh, there's other measures like adding some French classes uh, in Anglophone sejaps as well, which has raised a lot of concern among indigenous populations, many of which French is their third language. And uh, there's no exemptions of indigenous peoples uh, for, for this law. So this has caused a lot of concern among, among indigenous groups as well. Uh, so, so, so really we have a law here that has some very... Uh, you know, there's some attacks on immigrant people and indigenous peoples, making it, you know, just complicating the life of immigrants with this rule of six months. After six months, you need to be served in French. And these are the main parts of the law that are that are quite contentious, I would say. Okay, thank you. I think that gives us a decent picture of what the law is and some of the problems with it. But I, I think... You know, a lot of a lot of people are wondering. I think, like, why now? Like, why is <laughs> where where does this come from? Like, why is this happening? I think, especially in English Canada, maybe people are not as familiar with the history. Maybe people are not as familiar with with a bit of of the the con the kind of the yeah the history of this debate. So, I think in order to understand it, we should probably you know for our listeners benefit get into the yeah the history of the national struggle the history of the oppression of the francophone speaking population of the quebecois um and i guess i can kind of say a few words about that that really you know what we now know as canada was colonized by principally uh, france and england and uh england ended up winning out and then you had the Francophone population uh, being oppressed by the English. Fast forward, this oppression was in particular was particularly uh, brutal uh, with the with the implementation of industrial capitalism by English imperialists, uh, and this is I think where we find the modern roots of 
I guess the the oppression of the Quebecois, even the the birth of the Quebec nation, I would say, um, and 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 with this the kind of modern language politics that we are still dealing with that we still don't have a solution to, which everyone's trying to find a solution to. So yeah, uh, but yeah, Julien, I don't know if you want to maybe talk a bit about. In particular, I think the 50s and the 60s and the 70s are the most important sort of era for us to investigate, to understand like where the language politics comes from and why why it is so sensitive and why it is so divisive, I guess, uh, is the word that a lot of people use. But yeah, do you have anything to say about this period? Yeah, we definitely need to look at the, the 50s and 60s. And, and actually, what is quite peculiar about Bill 96 and I think we'll get back to this, but the law has been generally supported by the Quebec left and the unions, uh, the, at least the francophone left and unions, and it's a bizarre unanimity behind the CAC. But why is this? I, I think it's because the, the language question is uh, it's striking a nerve. It's, it's a very sensitive question in Quebec among the francophones because there is, as you said, there is a very... Uh, the very profound history of oppression. Uh, and yeah, we can't go back to the conquest. But yeah, in the 20th century, the, the working class became a massive force in Quebec with industrialization. Uh, but it was done under under the um, supervision, let's call it that, of, of Anglo imperialists and, and American imperialists. So the situation it created is basically by the 40s and 50s, you have this massive working class, industrial working class, uh, mostly francophone, exploited by Anglophone bosses. This meant that the class exploitation was coupled with national oppression, linguistic oppression. And just to, just to give you a few examples, it was very commonplace for the workers to have to speak French, uh, I'm sorry, to speak English at work. Uh, it w actually, it was not until 1964 that the labor code was changed to allow workers to choose the language of collective bargaining agreements. It, it was English most of the time, obviously. And the, the businesses would have all their signage in English. Uh, for most good jobs, uh, the ability to speak English was a requirement. And at the time, the Francophone population has had very little access to education, so they, they didn't speak English. And this, this oppression was very tangible and backed up by statistics. For example, in 1961, the average wage of a Francophone unilingual man was 52% of, of an Anglophone man. And it's actually similar to the, to the disproportion between black workers and white workers in the US at, at, in that period. And even in 1968, there was actually a a royal commission on bilingualism and biculturalism that uh, published shocking statistics on, on the oppression of francophones. Actually, within Quebec, uh, a unilingual anglophone earned more than a bilingual anglophone. So it paid to not speak French. It's incredible when you think about it. And among 14 national groups in Canada, uh, the top three of the poor were the indigenous, for, for reasons we know, Italians and French Canadians. But, but also the interesting thing was within Quebec, the disparity between uh, what they call British Canadians and Francophones was worse than the rest of the country. So in Quebec, Anglos were, were, were much more favored than the rest of the country. And, and this, you know, this blatant uh, inequality uh, left the mark. And, and you had the, the racist stereotypes, uh, used against the Quebecois. The common insult was a speak white. As you may know, it, it, you know there's a very famous poem of the same name by a Francophone artist. Um, 
so, so, so this was this was deeply linked to the class exploitation of the francophone workers in Quebec. So we started to have mobilizations in in the '60s over linguistic issues and, and over class issues. And for example, you had strikes of workers. Uh, and oftentimes, many of the demands, one of the demands was to make French the language of the workplace because that was the language of the working class. So, uh, but this history of oppression left a mark and in the consciousness of any Quebecois people today, this is, this is what they have. And they have stories from their, their mothers, their fathers, their grandfathers, grandmothers about, about this oppression. And it, and it left a mark and this was transmitted to new generations. So when the CAC talks about uh, you know the, the decline of French, and we'll, we'll get back to this. Well, they do hit a nerve because of this history. Okay, yeah. So that 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 really helps us to understand sort of the history of oppression. I guess that leads on to like then the form of the struggle against that oppression. What were the what were the various forms? Uh, what was the form of the struggle? How did how did this? Uh, because obviously we are Marxists, we are opposed to oppression, we're opposed to the oppression based on language, based on nationality, based on religion, based on any other form of identity. Uh, uh, we are completely opposed to that, we fight tooth and nail against all forms of oppression. The question for us is how, and we'll get into that later. And this is actually the nub of the matter with this bill that is confusing a lot of people in the movement in Quebec and in the rest of the country, I believe, as well. So yeah, what were, do you want to maybe speak to, like, how did people originally, like, fight against uh, language oppression. Uh, what were the, what was the, I guess we get into like, what was the quiet revolution? Um, what was that movement? Do you want to say a few words about that? Well, yeah. So in my opinion, the quiet revolution, uh, is, is it's a misnomer. It wasn't quiet. Uh, there, there was a lot of strikes, a lot of mass struggles, inspiring struggles of the working class to emancipate themselves. And I would say, generally speaking, I, I mentioned that the class exploitation and linguistic oppression were linked. And you saw the working class become, you could say, from a class in itself to a class for itself, uh, organizing in trade unions, fighting against their bosses. Uh, and actually, the, the question of socialism was massively discussed in the 60s. The, mo the more you read about the 60s in Quebec, the more you realize debates about socialism were widespread. It was mainstream. Many trade union leaders called themselves socialists, talked about building a socialist society. This was on the agenda in the 60s and early 70s in, in Quebec. And, and it was particularly the case in the late 60s, the early 70s, you had mass struggles and a, a mass radicalization of the working class. And this expressed itself, for example, in documents that have stayed uh, uh, written at the time. For example, one of the most famous ones is the CSN Manifesto, uh, Ne comptons que sur nos propres moyens, which roughly translates as it's up to us, or we count only on our own means, talking about the domination of imperialism in Quebec, of US imperialism in particular. It even has a, a line about like how, you know, even an independent Quebec would never be enough to, to fight against, against Anglophone and US imperialism. And we need to fight for a democratic socialist society controlled by the workers. And th this was the mood of the time. And it culminated in the 1972 general strike in Quebec, which in my opinion was a, was a revolutionary general strike where it would have been possible. That's the closest the Quebec working class came to actually taking over society, taking power in their hands. But unfortunately, uh, the, you know, socialism was widely discussed, but there was no revolutionary organization able to coordinate this movement and channel it towards the overthrow of capitalism in Quebec. 
But, but, but in terms of the language question, there's, a, there's actually a very interesting example in history. In 1970, there was a strike at the General Motors uh, plant in Saint-Thérèse, and it was part of a broader uh, North American strike of General Motors. But in Quebec, in this plant, there was one of the demands that wasn't the case in the rest of North America for obvious reasons, to make French the language of the workplaces, of the workplace. And then there's a funny anecdote, actually. Uh, René Lévesque, which uh, was the founder of the Parti Québécois, uh, founded in 1968, René Lévesque came to the picket lines of the workers and he said the following, and I have to quote it because it's very indicative of something we will see later in Quebec history. And he said, it is not up to 2,000 brave Québécois to carry Quebec on their shoulders. Return to work. We will deal with the problem. And th this exposes two very different approaches on the language question. Here you have working class people fighting against oppression by class methods. And here you have René Lévesque, which represented uh, a petty bourgeois nationalist current in, in the quiet revolution, which we can talk about in a minute, telling workers, you know, go back home, we will deal with it. Uh, and I think this, uh, the, this was an anticipation of, of things to come. Yeah, so I mean, fantastic history of 1972, general strike. And then I think, as you've described, the, 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 the struggle against national oppression was kind of going hand in hand with the struggle of the working class that in Quebec was overwhelmingly Francophone uh, uh, Quebecers fighting against Anglophone bosses. That was the character of the struggle. Uh, and so there was a, there was a, a chance that it, 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 it took the lines of working class people taking, taking control of society and being able to resolve the question of oppression on a socialist basis. Unfortunately, that did not happen. 1972 general strike went down in defeat, which we don't have time to get into today. We do have, there's a whole presentation on our podcast uh, about it. Uh, we have articles about it on our website. I encourage you to look at that. Um, but yeah, the 1972 general strike unfortunately did not overthrow capitalism, did not begin the socialist transformation of society. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you you raised the 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 language question and the way <laughs> the way the PQ, which was which was a attempt by some petty bourgeois politicians and even bourgeois politicians around René Lévesque uh, to 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 take to, to lead the national struggle, but to lead the national liberation struggle in a different way than the workers were proposing in 1972, and you see that with the quote that you. Have uh, you have quoted here, which yeah shows a uh, will solve it with legislation through the state instead of a mass movement from below. Um, so I guess that leads into so 1972 failed. The 1976 election, the Parti Québécois surfs this wave of discontent, I guess, to power. Uh, uh, so they essentially sort of become the leaders of the National Liberation Movement. I find the Parti Québécois, especially in Quebec, is the early days are quite misunderstood in the left. Uh, it's seen as this progressive force. But when we see it in the context of a declining workers' movement and the co-optation of that workers' movement that was fighting for socialism by petty bourgeois and bourgeois politicians, uh, I think that is not the case. Um, however, as with any national struggle, 
it is contradictory. There are progressive trends, even in the even in the early days of the PQ government. Some of this because it's expressing partially in a contradictory form the anger of the working class and this fight against oppression. But then there are reactionary forms, which we should probably get into. Uh, and that actually helps us to understand Bill 96 and the CAQ today. But yeah, as I've mentioned at the beginning, Bill 96 was is kind of an update on Law 101, which the Parti Québécois government introduced. Uh, but yeah, maybe do you want to tell us about the the first Parti Québécois government and Law 101, and like kind of like what it was and what that represented, and then yeah, we can. We can then use that as a basis to talk about the Marxist approach to this and and then go on to, well, modern times and the debate now. Yes, uh, exactly. And, and actually something that is very important, th- th- there is a lot of confusion about the the role the PQ played and, and its place in history uh, within the Quebec left and Quebec society in general. It is generally understood as a as a progressive formation that was part of this quiet revolution and just a, almost a logical conclusion of the quiet revolution was the, the rise of the PQ and their attempt at um, sovereignty. But uh, that's not the case at all. If you look closely at the 60s, you had on the one hand, the working class coming to revolutionary conclusion, talking openly about how to fight for socialism. And this, you know, it, there was also a discussion about forming a workers party, which was cut across by the rise of the PQ. And, and, and actually many trade union leaders and even some left-wing intellectuals and some so-called Marxists supported the PQ, saying, you know, we, we need to support the PQ, fight for independence first, and this will be a stepping stone towards socialism or the first stage, uh, you know, independence first, socialism at a later date. Uh, and, and generally speaking, actually, the rise of the PQ did not play a progressive role in, in the history of Quebec. It, 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 actually, the PQ was used to cut across this revolutionary tradition and, and, to, and to bury it and, and co-opt the labor movement into their project of uniting all classes. And the PQ was quite open about it. They said, we want to be the party of, of all classes, almost using this exact vocabulary. This was not a progressive development. But you can understand, in the mid-70s, you, you don't have a workers' party. We can't go back in time. And, and the PQ was, was seen as this progressive force, force fighting oppression. And they did promise to solve the linguistic question. And as Joel, you said, they, they rose on this wave of anger of the 70s and took power in 1976. And Bill 101 came the following year, 1977. It's known as the Charter of the French Language. And it made French the official language for almost all spheres of life in Quebec, the legal system, business, government, teaching. And, and we got to understand this law is, is, is massively supported. It was at the time by the Francophones, and it is today seen in a very positive light. And I think this is understandable because they, they, people see it as this bill that contributed to um, making the oppression um, diminish. And you know the, the desire to speak your mother tongue and not to be discriminated again, against is, is a positive, year, a pro- progressive yearning. It's the desire not to be oppressed. And there was some uh, provisions in Law 101 that guaranteed the right to work in French, put an end to the discrimination of francophones in the hiring process. You know, businesses were, were to operate in French. Um, and, you know, b- bosses were mad about this. You know, oh, this is so much red tape and, you know, it's so complicated. And, uh, you know, they, they feared, people feared that business would just go away. 
but so big business was quite outraged. <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the law had the desired effect. Uh, you know, the, the bosses could no longer force their employees to speak English, and the, the worst manifestation of linguistic oppression began to disappear. And this is why Bill 101 is quite popular to this day. Law 101, sorry. And, and it's undeniable, I think, that some aspects of the law played a progressive role in the fight against oppression. But in any national movement and in any of these questions, it is necessary for us to distinguish what is progressive from what is reactionary. And in the fight against oppression, it is possible to go too far and promote measures that promote division. And, and Bill 101 is an example of this. Like they, they made it obligatory for government bodies to have all their signage and communication in French. And it was tr this was true of very sizable English communities in the province. Uh, and, you know, they, they created the Quebec Board of the French Language, the Office Québécois de la Langue Française, which made sure these laws were applied. And this led really to, to bureaucratic and bizarre decisions at times. So, for example, there was a small city called Saint-Lazare, which had to remove the English signing uh, from its welcome signs in, in the city. And this was because the, the proportion of Anglophones had gone under the bar uh, that was permitted to have bilingual signage. So it's kind of this bureaucratic imposition of French, you know, if it goes under 50% of Anglophones, you can't have welcome signs. And I mean, welcome signs are very trivial, but then it's, it, it's a very serious question when it comes to important services like, like healthcare. And this was the case in, in Gaspé in a few years ago, the, the, the Quebec board of the French language asked to remove bilingual signs in hospitals. A hospital is that's not a, that's not a welcome sign. That's very important signage, which should be available in frankly any language necessary for a given community. So the, the prerogatives of the law led to all these bizarre and trivial uh, impositions, which just foment division for very trivial things, and not so trivial in the case of hospitals. So, and I think this is the result of this bureaucratic approach of the bourgeois state. <laughs> Uh, in, imposing a language, um, regardless of the various circumstances. So, so, so while Bill, Law 101 is seen as progressive and some aspects defended uh, the Francophone against oppression, you had this bureaucratic side of it that, in my opinion, plays ultimately a reactionary role of just pitting Anglophones against Francophones for, for, for very silly reasons, oftentimes. So that's generally what, what happened with Bill 101. Okay, yeah, so the first PQ government and Bill 101, Law 101, uh, that we, is very important to understand, to understand Bill 96. Uh, I guess this leads to the, what? yeah, I mean, so far we've mostly just been discussing history uh, with very little analysis, but maybe, you know, it's necessary, I think, for the listeners to have a certain theoretical framework, uh, especially as we go through the latter half of the podcast here. Uh, so that, that leads me to the question, like, what, well, what do Marxists, I mean, J Julian, you've already mentioned, a f like, generally speaking, uh, Law 101, uh, like, you know, insofar as it fights against oppression of francophones, it's got progressive stuff, but insofar as it goes a bit, bends the stick too far, and then is imposing on others, uh, and it plays a divisive role and therefore a reactionary role. So I guess that leads to, yeah, what is the Marxist approach on the language question and on questions of oppression in general. Um, 
and in particular uh, Lenin, uh, the great Russian Revolution leader of the Russian Revolution, uh, 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 quite clearly wrote some of the best texts on the national question and on the language question because Russia, uh, as Lenin said, was the prison house of nationalities. Actually, in the Russian Empire, prior to the Russian Revolution, the majority of the population actually weren't Russian. <laughs> there were a very various different uh, national, linguistic, ethnic groups, uh, and so it was very important for Marxists at the time, and it's very important for Marxists today and Marxists in Canada uh, to have a proper approach, a proper understanding, a proper position, a correct position on on the question of oppression, on the question of and, and language is one of the most one of the stickiest aspects of this, I believe. So it's and this is one of the reasons why everyone gets so confused or or, or, or is on I think the tendency in the Quebec left has been to bend and accept basically bureaucratic imposition from the state on non Francophones. And then the tendency in the Anglophone left has been to basically bend to and support the federal state and, to be honest, to be a a bit of Quebec bashers. Oh, Quebec, you know, always trying to do this. So, you know, what is, I guess, the Marxist approach, the Marxist position? Um, uh, Yeah, I don't know if you, do you want to maybe say a few words on this and then, yeah, I can come in? Yes, Lenin de- developed the position, the Marxist position on the national question, perhaps more than any other great Marxist, in my opinion. And the reason was simple. Yeah, Russia was a prison hold of nations with some almost 60% of the population composed of various national and linguistic groupings oppressed by the greater Russians, by the Tsarist state. So it's very, very important for the Russian Marxist to have, have this one right, to have the right position um, on the national question. And generally speaking, the, the, the position is that we are against oppression. And, and for Lenin, Lenin himself was a Russian. He, he wanted to demonstrate to, to the oppressed peoples that the Russians were on their side. The Russian working class was on the side of the oppressed. Uh, so we fight against oppression. But Lenin was also clear that this is, uh, this is I think, adequately expressed as a, a negative position. We're against oppression, but we're not positively in favor, not for a nation or for a language. So this is a negative position against oppression. And I think this is, this is the necessary approach to build workers' unity. Because on this question of language and, and any other question for Marxists, the starting point is what strengthens the unity of workers of all origins against their bosses and their friends in government is progressive and what divides or weakens this struggle is reactionary. And uh, on the language question, well, Lenin was generally opposed to coercion. He, he, he said, you know, we, we shouldn't, this, it is not progressive to try to impose a language. It just creates resentment and division. And actually Lenin gave the example, he very often used the example of Switzerland, where I believe there was two, two or three main languages and one or two dialect spoken by a very small percentage of the population. And Lenin explained, you know, that the various languages coexist and government documents are translated in all three languages and these two dialects spoken by a very small portion of the population. And there's no imposition of any of these languages. 
and we just produce the government and service documents in any language that is necessary for the community. And this is fine because you have, um, you know, no language is oppressed and this is the, the, the best outcome possible. And you generally draw the analogy with Russia. Why would that not be possible? You know, that the linguistic uh, oppressed groups could have schools, you know, classes in their own languages, uh, you know, access to services in their own languages without imposition uh, on either side. So generally speaking, uh, Marxists are against the imposition of any language or discrimination based on language. And to do so can actually only... uh, pit the various linguistic groups against another. And something more, more generally about, about the national question, Lenin explained that in any nationalism of an oppressed nation, in this case, Quebec, there is a progressive content directed against oppression, which we should support. But he also insisted on the need to separate this from the tendency, he called it, of national exclusivism, and the fight to oppress other groups. And there's always this danger in, in, in any nationalism. On the one side, it can be the sentiment, the, the expression of a progressive sentiment against oppression, but it can very easily turn into oppressing other people. And we'll talk about this later, but, uh, but I think this is something we've seen with uh, Quebec nationalism recently with the CAC in particular. But, uh, but yeah, generally speaking, that is the approach on the linguistic question against oppression and for anything that maximizes the unity of working class people of all backgrounds, all origins and all languages. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, I think that 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 gives us a necessary sort of framework to understand uh, what position Marxist, socialist, left wing people should take on Bill 96. Uh, against oppression, against state impositions, generally speaking, on people, uh, and not, not, yeah, therefore, not for, not for one language, against oppression of languages and peoples. Uh, and why? Because we need to unite the working class, and you can't unite the working class if one sector of the workers are opposing, uh, oppressing the others, or divide, you know, dividing. The, the workers. So yeah, I think this gives us a general framework uh, on approach to language laws and approach to the, the, the national question in, in, in general, which, as you've said, I think, you know, we, we need to look at it like the national question, which you're talking about, is oppressed peoples, fight, generally speaking, comes from a, there's a progressive feeling that is, we don't want to be oppressed. And so Marxists, we we agree with that. We sympathize with that. We are on the side of oppressed peoples fighting against of oppre- against oppression. Uh, but then, there can be a slippery slope, a, a bending of the stick, which leads to fighting against oppression becomes implementing laws that force your language or your culture on others. And in Law 101, a little bit, and in Bill 96, you see this. And it's also important who is implementing these things and for what reason while from a marxist point of th- point of view i think as you described with the pq that was clear what they were doing but for a lot of people that was very confusing people didn't understand but now with the caq and this law i think it is clearer than ever so we will get into that in a minute um first things first i would like to take a short commercial break uh 
and yeah, read out our subscribers we've had. So yeah, Fightback Magazine and Lalipas Socialist. Uh, yeah, we have Revolutionary Workers Press. You can get your subscription on our websites at marxist.ca and marxist.qc.ca for Lalipas Socialist. Um, we have had over the past, it's not over the past week because as you know, we didn't have the podcast last week, but over the past two weeks, we have had 26 new subscribers. So that's very, very good. We have 19 for Fightback. We have uh, Geraldine, Leon, Gerald, John, Sasha, uh, Shanu, Nan, Sonia, Nina, Alexis, Alberto, Nathan, Akshay, uh, Olivier, Jody, Malcolm, Sean, uh, Safe, and Monica. Thank you very much for becoming uh, subscribers to Fight Back. And then we have seven new subscribers to Laripos Socialist, uh, which is Annie, Eamon, Alexena, Brian, Emil, Sebastien, and Marlo. So thank you, everyone, comrades, supporters, for getting your subscriptions to help us expand our subscriber base for the Revolutionary Workers Press. Um, yeah, so if you have not done that already and you're listening to this, I highly encourage you. And also, in particular, if you are listening to this and a lot of this stuff about language and Quebec history is news to you, well, guess what? You have some work to do. And what better place to start than reading it in French? If you don't understand French, well, learn French. We do encourage people to learn French. A significant portion, I think it's over a quarter of the Canadian population are Francophones. And really there's a whole uh, political culture and history there that you should really dive into. So what better way of doing that than getting a subscription to our French publication, La Riposte Socialiste, which you can get at Mark, uh, Marxist uh, point QC point CIA, which is M-A-R- uh, X-I-S-T-E uh, period Q-C period C-A and you can find information to subscribe to our French paper there. I highly encourage it for any Anglophone to do that. If you want to beat any Anglo chauvinism out of you, this is a sure way to do that. Commit to supporting Francophone Quebecois Marxists in Quebec fighting against uh, uh, these uh, bourgeois nationalist uh, laws. Um, so yeah, getting back into it, I guess the big question is why is this happening now? So we've talked about the history. You talked about Law 101, which was uh, supported, as you mentioned, generally supported w w quite widely by the Francophone population, not really supported by the Anglophones and a lot of the immigrant communities, but nonetheless, it, it, it's existed since 1977, uh, has been updated a few times, but but yeah, what, why, do, why are we seeing Bill 96 right now? Like, what's the general context uh, we are seeing with the rise of Bill 96? I guess this leads to a discussion about what the CAQ is and where they come from. Um, I don't know, Julian, do you want to tell us a few words about the, the CAQ, what it is, and, and, and what is, I guess, the political movement that this comes from? Yes, absolutely. And I think it, this is... The root of the confusion, because many people in the Quebec left looked at Bill look at Bill ninety six outside of the context, and I think we can't understand Bill ninety six without understanding what the CAC has been doing generally and the context of the last decades, frankly, in Quebec, and and um, the character of the nationalist movement in the past period. And as we said previously, that the sixties and seventies 
the, the class struggle and national struggle tended to coincide but with the defeat of the 1972 general strike, the PQ was able to co-opt the labor movement and, you know, into its sovereignty project, which basically amounted to some sort of rearrangement of the Canadian Confederation without touching capitalism. And then for a whole historical period in Quebec, politics was dominated by the federalism versus sovereignty debate and class politics took the back seat. But since the 1995 referendum, all mass struggles in Quebec have been about class issues. You had the demonstrations against globalization, I believe, in 2001, the, the student strikes, heroic student strikes in 2005, 2012, the common fronts of public sector workers in 2004, 2010, 2015, you name it. But all the struggles, all the mass struggles were about class issues. And the nationalist movement since 1995 in particular has went through quite a transformation and has taken more and more an ugly turn towards identity nationalism. And uh, th this was necessary for, for the, the ruling class to, to be able to divide and rule while the workers were getting on the offensive. And uh, th this identity nationalism was expressed in particular in the mid-2000s in this reasonable accommodation debate. It was basically a few hand-picked cases of religious symbols in this or that job were put into this big national crisis about, oh my God, there's religious symbols everywhere, and there's a big danger and a big problem. And this was in the context of 9-11, obviously, and, and it attacked I'll say it in particular, Muslim women. And it was a very racist debate about a few people and what they're wearing on their face. Yeah, they're not and, talking uh, about all the religion, all the Christian religious symbols, are they? Because <laughs> uh, I mean, well, that's a big one. <laughs> no, actually, in 2008, uh, the PQ, uh, the Liberals, and the ADQ, which was the ancestor of the CAC, they all voted in Parliament to keep the the, um, the cross in the National Assembly back then in the context of this debate. So it was very clear. It was against the immigrants and their religions, quote unquote. But then this reactionary debate dominated Quebecois politics until very recently, actually. Uh, but, but, but what this expressed is, generally speaking, yeah, in the 50s and 60s, it was about defending the Francophone working class against imperialism. But now the, the, the mainstream nationalist movement was more about dividing in rule and scapegoating immigrants in particular. And this was expressed in, uh, for example, the Charter of Quebec Values, which the Parti Québécois government uh, um, put forward in 2013 at a time of austerity, guess what, to, 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 to distract people away from these uh, unpopular austerity policies. And yeah, Quebec Values, and this was a very, very reactionary piece of legislation to, to ban face coverings in the public sector. It never got implemented because the PQ lost their election in 2014. But then the CAC rose to power in 2018 on this wave of identity nationalism, became, became the main vehicle of, of the nationalist movement. The PQ has been in the doldrums uh, over the past few years, and the CAC has been using this identity nationalism to rise to power and to, to pit Francophone workers against, against minorities. And to, the CAC has been trying to present itself, and, and I got to say with a bit of success, as the defender of the Quebec nation, of the Quebecois people, of the Francophones, which was also expressed uh, in Bill 21. Well, Bill 21, if you don't know, was the, the law, the CAC, it, basically the cherry on the top of this debate, this 15-year-old debate on reasonable accommodation, banning religious symbols from, uh, for teachers and other uh, government officials. It was the culmination of this 
so-called debate on religious symbols. And this rise of identity nationalism and these debates on religious symbols and on protecting the Quebecois nation against, against who? Against immigrants and religious minorities. Well, we got to say that Bill 96 is part of this process. It's part of this attempt by the CAC to posture as the defender of the Quebec nation of the, and, you know, an, an attempt to win over Francophone workers on the back of minorities. And in the case of Bill 96, uh, they do it by um, pointing to the alleged decline of the French language, which, as I said, strikes a, a nerve among people. But we can't see Bill 96 apart from this context, apart from this context of the mainstream nationalist movement moving away from the fight against imperialism and basically making it all about, you know, scapegoating immigrants to allegedly protect the Quebecois people. Yeah, so I think... This is absolutely essential to understanding what is happening now. It's not coming out of nowhere. It's not just anyone implementing this law on the Quebec lang la uh, French language. Uh, it's not, uh, yeah, so it's this, with the rise of the class struggle over the past 15, 20 years, uh, as you've described, uh, you've had it, the need for the ruling class to divide people, distract them from the real problems. So yeah, you had this, this thing about religious symbols, I mean, I interrupted you there to point out, you were describing there, oh, there's religious symbols in public office. I'm like, there are Christian religious symbols litter, littered everywhere over public offices in Quebec. That's not what they were talking about, which shows the whole hypocrisy of that debate. It wasn't about religious symbols. Uh, it was about scapegoating people who were not like us, you know? <laughs> um, and, and if I can say something, actually, ju yeah. just to clarify that this wasn't the case only in Quebec. And I think people know that. Oh, of you know, course. At the time, yeah. there was, there was a, in the 2015 federal election, the Harper Conservatives, if I'm not mistaken, were talking about banning the kneecap. Yeah, it was, it was Kelly, it was hot, Kelly Leach. Hot, uh, yeah. <laughs> Kelly yeah, Leach so was it definitely had a counterpart. It had this counterpart in English Canada as well, like because I think you know there's some people that claim that you know Quebec is especially racist, which is, which is complete, completely untrue. Uh, the ruling class everywhere tried to use these questions against the working class and to divide and distract. Yeah, this isn't a Quebec. It's very important <laughs> as a, this is a this is a English Canadian podcast. It's very important that people understand this is not, and it's a common thing that people think, oh, it's a Quebec problem. It's not a Quebec problem. It's a global problem in the world that the right wing all over the world have used this. Trump did it, <laughs> uh, Boris Johnson, Marine Le Pen in France, even Macron, who's supposed to be a liberal, has passed laws. Even the socialist government before him tried pass laws against uh, Muslims and religious minorities. So they've been trying, the ruling class has been trying to use this all over the world. So this is just, uh, you know, we described the context, which is, I think it's 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 they've been able to more successfully do this in Quebec because of the history and because it's like an oppressed group, you know, fighting against uh, English and uh, and imperialism. And, and it, you know, there's this context there. But, yeah, it is it is not particular to Quebec. It's very important we, that we understand that. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah. But you have this identity nationalism. It's a turn of the ruling class. It's about it's about the Quebec ruling class, actually. That's what it's about. It's about capitalist politicians in Quebec manipulating popular sentiment to direct it against immigrants, minorities, anglophones. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the context in which the CAQ has 
has has become a power. I mean, in all the polls that have a they have majority support, uh, dominant government. Uh, and is implementing, and kind of, you can see it coming all the time, implementing laws of this nature. Bill 21 was the the one that you mentioned, the classic one, uh, the most well-known one. And Bill 96 is just the latest uh, thing that they've done. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people that I know in Quebec, a lot of friends of mine, francophones and whatnot, that, that support the law, they, they, they're, they're supporting it on the basis of the argument that we need to protect the French language. And so... And same thing with Bill 101. Like, oh, French language, got to protect the French language. It's our language is under threat. The history, we all know the history. It's a very important struggle. Um, so, I don't know, did you have anything to say about that? What about this, the, th- the protection of the French language? Is the French language under threat? I guess that's the first thing to maybe address. Well, that's a very important question because for many people, it's the crux of the matter. And it's the crux of the argument that even some people that are not particularly in favor of Bill 96 or understand there's some wrong sides to it uh, will say, well, yes, yes, but the the French language is in decline. We need to do something. So, yeah, we definitely need to look at the facts. And um, the fact is 94% of Quebecers are able to conduct a conversation in French which is very high. And then the, the identity nationalists in particular, they base their argument on two indicators, which is the, le- the decline of French as the only language spoken at home and its decline as a mother tongue. But what, the, what does that say if these two things are in decline, which they, which they are? Well, it, it's who is to blame then? Who is not speaking lang- French at home or who doesn't have French as their mother tongue? More often than not, it's the immigrants. But when you think about it, what is the big deal of a Haitian speaking Creole at home or an Arabic person speaking Arabic? It doesn't change anything. And many people speak whatever language at home because that's their language since they were born and they conduct their life in French. And actually much more than the identity nationalism would care to admit. Actually, there, there are some statistics I pulled out here uh, that that actually it's, the, um, it's about the... Um, the, the language spoken by immigrants. So 33% of immigrants who arrived before 1981 reported speaking French most often at home in 2016. And this figure rose to 41.5% of immigrants who arrived between 2011 and 2016. And English actually drastically declined among the same group from 30 to 9.5%. And then there's also the question of... Um, of uh, linguistic transfer of immigrants turning towards French. And s- some people say it's around 50%, but there's some studies that say that it's actually 75% of immigrants transition towards towards French. So this is never talked about. And then the other thing is actually the, 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 the proportion of population speaking French at home as, has increased slightly between 2011 and 2016 to 87.1%. But then uh, there is a, a, a decline of French, um, of the proportion of people speaking speaking only French. But the, but the thing that uh, these nationalists never talk about is that you have the same dynamic for English in Canada. And this reflects the fact that, you know, you have Spanish speaker, Arabic speakers uh, all, all over the country. So, but then you really see the, you know, the... the the, the undertones of blaming the immigrants in this debate when they point to the mother tongue or the main language spoken at home. 
and you really see what the CAC and the identity nationalists are doing. The immigrants are the problem. And the worst culprits of this are the Journal de Montréal uh, commentators, which are, I guess, the impolite version of the CAC, which say, uh, you, you know, will say horrible things like, you know, we're getting invaded. Uh, you know, there's immigrants everywhere. They, they, they will drown our nation. Um, but but this, this is what they're, they're trying to say. You know, the, the immigrants are a threat to the French language. But the facts show that the, the French language is more spoken, including by immigrants. And that's, yes, it's in decline as a mother tongue and language, main language spoken at home. But that's the case for English as well. And it reflects something that we see in, in big metropolitan centers in Canada, but also around the world. This is a general tendency that you see uh, all over the capitalist world, actually. So, so, so definitely th this, this idea of the decline of French it is one of the main arguments for building sex, even people that don't agree. But the facts say something else. And I think the facts show that this is blown way out of proportion and, and actually untrue. The, the, the main premise of this debate is, is not true. And, if, and, and I think this helps us um, uncover what the CAC is trying to do and also why they pick these indicators. It's, it's to scapegoat immigrants once again. So I think <clears throat> that's very important what you've described here because in any of these debates, you got to start from a correct premise. And like Bill 21 and the whole reasonable accommodation debate, the Quebec state is not, the secular nature of the Quebec state is never under threat. Uh, in the sense that also French language, is it really under threat? I mean, the stats, as you described, and the stats speak for themselves, but also I think the stats, how you present them is important. I've seen many uh, Journal de Montréal articles and covers that skew the stats, skew the graph, so it seems like there is a, a massive decrease when it's a fraction of a percent or a couple percent over decades of people that don't speak French as a mother tongue, but still speak French nonetheless. I mean, so yeah. And that was actually hilarious. You had the Journal de Montréal, I believe it was their cover. Yeah. And you did have the, a graph that showed, you know, the evolution of languages. And it makes it seem like a steep fall. But when you have an axis that would have, that would start at zero, it would show almost a straight line. So you could really see the, the manipulation of, of the numbers by the Journal de Montréal. It was, it was so blatant. But that, that's what they're trying to do, yeah. Yeah, so it's a manipulation uh, and the creation of a scapegoat, creation of a debate uh, in order to really to distract people from uh, the crisis of capitalism, the horrible, and we haven't even talked about this, the horrible management of the pandemic by the CAQ, which is, I think it's still the worst in the country. I'm not sure, but it was for a long time the worst, most deaths, most case per capita. Uh, um, meanwhile, they're saying the language question is the number one question <laughs> in the middle of a horrible pandemic in which thousands of people are dying. Um, so yeah, this this helps to explain like what this law, what Bill 96 is, and why they're implementing it. Because I do think, as you described, it is true that uh, a large part of people and the left and I uh, view it irrespective of context and irrespective of who is doing it, which is very, very important. Uh, and so I guess that leads to, uh, what is the position of the Quebec left, I suppose? What is the, what is the position of the Quebec unions? Because obviously this is something that has to be, I, I believe, generally speaking, has to be, the, the Quebec left needs to fight against this. Uh, and I think the Quebec left is starting to. There are elements of this. People are being more critical. I've seen it. Uh, 
But yeah, I guess the main represent, representative of the left, if you were to say that, there is one, is Quebec Solidaire. Now, for our listeners that may not know that much about Quebec Solidaire, Quebec Solidaire is a left-wing party that was founded in 2006. Uh, I've been a member of QS since 2007, when I moved to Montreal. Uh, and really, in the history of the struggle for national liberation, which we've described, QS is a fundamental turning point. It was a recognition that the nationalist movement was bankrupt and had reached a dead end after the Lucien Bouchard PQ government that implemented austerity measures, uh, deficit zero policy, attacked working class people, legislated nurses back to work, uh, broke their strike. Um, and so QS was a left split and a progressive one uh, and it was largely Marxist, socialists, uh, feminists, left-wingers that united to form Qu Quebec Solidaire in 2006. Uh, now, because it was a left split off the nationalist movement, it has always had uh, a bit of confusion, I would say, on questions of language, on, na on the national question in general. And we see that on this issue. Uh, but maybe... Uh, I'll let you talk about that. You definitely know more than me about this. So what is the, I guess, you know, that's what QS is. But what is the, what is the, how is the, the leadership of the party, which they have members of the, of the, the parliament there, the National Assembly, I think they have 10, 10 deputies. Uh, what are they, what have they been saying about Bill 96? Very good, very important question, yes. Uh, generally speaking, the QS is the main left force in Quebec, but even the unions actually have been generally fav favorable to, to Bill 96. You know, some said it was a breathe of fresh air, it satisfied the demand of the union. So the main trade unions in Quebec are, are somewhat in favor of Bill 96. And then when it comes to, to QS, uh, I'll say this before I get into it, like the, the CAC, as I mentioned, has been able to to present itself as defending the, the Quebec nation and you know create a national unity. They've been very open actually about the about this. They they say, you know, we are a force of social cohesion against, I believe they even said that against radicalism. That's what they're doing. They are trying to rally the nation behind themselves against an external enemy, be it the immigrant, Muslim, or the Anglophone. And it's been this identitarian nationalism has been the, one of the main weapons of the CAC to maintain themselves in power, despite their indeed horrible management of, of the pandemic. But, but I got to say that in general, and not just the CAC, in general, identity nationalism has not been fought properly by the left wing. Even on this debate of religious symbols, uh, for the longest time, the, the QS leadership had the position of a compromise, you know, banning certain religious symbols for certain jobs in position of authority in the state, like, you know, judges and policemen and whatnot. So they, they, they bend to this debate and they, they kind of legitimize the so-called debate on, on religious symbols for, for the longest time. And this was actually overturned in QS in 2019 in the in National Council of the Party with two, 300 delegates that voted against this position and made QS defend the position of no ban on religious symbols. Um, so, so QS in the past, I, I, I think, has bent to, to, to the debates and the divisions fomented by right-wing nationalists. And this, this has been a trend we've seen in the party. And on Bill 96, unfortunately, I think they are making the same mistake. Actually, last week, last Tuesday, the bill was adopted. Uh, the Liberals voted against it, predictably. 
uh, because you know they, they always portrayed as the defender of anglophones. The PQ voted against it because they say it doesn't go far enough, which is another thing. And QS incredibly voted in favor of it. So here, three months before the election, QS votes with the government this bill. It's incredible. But then they, they, they try to say, oh, you know, uh, we, we think the CAC missed an opportunity to unite the Quebecois people. And they did say immediately after the vote that I, I think, and I think they're under pressure from their base. They said, we, if we take power, we will strike down the part on the six months delay for immigrants. And we will have a conversation with indigenous peoples about exempting them from, from the law. But they, in the meantime, they voted in favor and really sending the message, oh, we, you know, when we take power, which is by no means certain for this year, uh, we don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, we'll, but in the meantime, we'll, we'll vote in favor of, of oppressing you. It's, that's the message it sends. Uh, and so it's, it's a very bad position, even from the, from the narrow standpoint of parliamentary tactic, the CAC didn't need the QS votes. They, they could have voted alone. You could have opposed it, take the principal stand, and that would have been a much better position. But I got to say that the QS leadership has accepted the mantra of the decline of the French. And they, they will say good stuff sometimes. Like Ruba Gazal is the, the MNA, the member of National Assembly, which is a spokesperson about the French language. And she will say stuff like, you know, if, if companies don't want to, uh, to offer French to their workers, well, they can just leave Quebec. And, you know, she will say stuff that, uh, you know, there should be French classes paid by the bosses, which we agree with. But I'm sorry, this has nothing to do with Bill 96. This is not what is being discussed. It's not, not seeing the, the wood for the tree, basically, uh, if that's the correct idiom in English. Uh, but it, this is not what it's about. And, and again, I think the QS leadership sees this bill apart from the broader context. But what this vote does and this position does is to legitimate the attempt of the CAC to, 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 um, to, to, uh, to present themselves as the, as the defenders of Quebec without gaining anything. Um, and, and actually, the, funny enough, uh, Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, which is the spokesperson of QS, the, the male spokesperson, said about Bill 96, he, sa he said the following, he said, you, you can always count on Quebec Solidaire to be the voice of nuance and balance. Well, and I think this betrays something, like this is something, a constant trend we've seen in QS, this is the language of moderation, of you know appearing reasonable. Uh, and this is something we've seen in QS for many years on many questions, that they tend to moderate the language and discourse and the positions of the party. It almost it makes them look as, as if they are part of the establishment. And you know, this vote with the CAC establishment party, you know, th this this is a at a time where the anger against the establishment is mounting and people will be looking for alternatives. So QS painted themselves in the corner of this bizarre position of voting with the CAC, uh, this bill. Um, yeah, so, so that's generally the position that QS took. I think there's a lot more to say about it, but that, that's what they've been saying so far. Yeah, that's a problem. It, it, it reminds me of the, the approach to the reasonable accommodations debate. Uh, however, this time around, I have seen more opposition um, and I think that is because there have like we we made strong statements against it, uh, and I think many more people on the left, even in Quebec Solidaire, have been waving red flags about this, being like, "Hey, wait a minute, <laughs> we we shouldn't be supporting oppression at all." I mean, solidaire. What does solidarity mean? It's not a maybe. 
we will later be in solidarity with you. It's a, we are in solidarity always. And this really, I think, gets us back to the Marxist approach, that we, as Marxists, def- are against all forms of oppression. We fight against all forms of oppression. It isn't acceptable to uh, support a law that can, in, contains repressive measures uh, um, uh, for, for socialists, for left-wingers, and, and we should fight against that, and we should point that out. Um, and this, yeah, this, the, the movement needs to, rec- to, to, to recognize this and, and, and I believe that this law, along with Bill 21 and other such repressive laws that are put forward by the CAQ, so-called in the interest national unity and national interest, uh, not about that at all, uh, would, would, become, would become much more unpopular if there was a consistent left-wing opposition, a bold denunciation, a criticism of these uh, laws and really, that's what we're fighting for uh, uh, with, with with our organization La Riposte Socialiste in Quebec is to fight against the attempts of the bourgeois nationalists to do this and to help the left understand how it can do that, uh, which I guess leads us into the socialist solution. So, what would we? What should socialists do, though? Like, it's not like we don't care about language, right? <laughs> we don't say, oh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Uh, wrong question. Focus on class issues. That, that would be very, I think some Marxists have, have done, taken a very vulgar position on the national question before, and it's not the correct position. So what is our, what is our approach to the language debate in Quebec? What are we, what is the socialist solution? Uh, I don't know if you want to introduce this and then we can say a few words to end the, end the podcast here. Yeah, well, if you'll allow me, I have a couple more things to say about the QS position, but I think I think it's segues oh, yeah, sure. well into yeah. what, what we defend because yeah, functionally what QS has done is giving a left cover to this attempt by the CAC to portray themselves as this big defender of the Quebec nation and left cover to their uh, to uh, attempts to divide and rule, and um, and actually, uh, in terms of the socialist solution, we we, we tried to, to fight this. There was actually a Quebec National Council meeting this weekend, and uh, you know we are you know fighting for socialist policies uh, in the movement as Lachipas Socialist, and we had a comrade of ours uh, propose a, an emergency motion at this National Council to 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 backtrack on this position. And you know the resolution explained that you know we should we should um, we should not have supported Bill ninety six. Um, that you know we can't tell the oppressed you know we we're voting in favor of the oppression, but you know somewhere in the future we will when we're in power we will strike down these these parts. Uh, so so we had drafted a motion to to oppose Bill ninety six, and to you know pointing to the fact that we had basically endorsed the establishment. And, and scandalously, actually, this motion was not put to the vote. It was blocked by the main leading body of QS. And instead, a motion was put forward uh, by, by uh, Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, the, the spokesperson, to basically sanction what they had done the week before in the, in the National Assembly. And, and, and predictably, the, mo- the motion was, uh, was adopted. But there was a lot of abstention, which, in my opinion, reflects the, the malaise in the party over this position. And even after the vote on the, on the motion, which basically, you know, makes the party endorse what their MNAs did in voting, voting in favor with the, the mention that they will repel the worst parts of the law. It, it was used later at this national council because even after this vote, some delegates spoke and said, you know, this, this is not good. Uh, we, we seem like the enemy with immigrants and anglophones. 
And then this was used by, by, by the other spokesperson, Manon Marseille, to say, you know, I, I understand, you know, this divisive law. She called it the cruel law uh, of the CAC is raising concerns. But listen, we, we took this vote this morning and, you know, we need, need to rally the troops, basically. So it was, and, and you know, just like this in the, in the half an hour, the debate was closed uh, with the motion to oppose it not even being discussed. So I think that is, that, that is really not good when you think of the democratic traditions of QS that this happened. But this, yeah, this leads to, to what do, do socialists propose to this? Because we, we propose that QS oppose this bill. But then does that mean we don't care about, about the French language? Well, or, you know, the, the oppression of the Francophone, should I say? Well, well no. Uh, we, we think, actually, we should fight against oppression with class methods and class demands. How, how does it help to not fund uh, Dawson College or, or Anglophone Sejaps? Can we really believe, and that goes into what you said, Joel, a few times, like, who is doing it and why? Can we really believe the CAC will fund Francophone schools? We, we can't believe that. The CAC will not do that. They're a party of the bosses. And if they get a second mandate, which is definitely not out of the question, I guarantee they will go on the offensive. They, they will take away workers' rights and they will cut. We cannot trust this government to help the Francophone working class or the working class more generally. Actually, in fact, the nationalists have a history of actually not helping. It, it was in the 2000s that the Lucien Bouchard government cut funding to learning French for immigrants as part of this broad sweep of cuts in the late 90s, early 2000s. So these nationalists, it actually reminds me, this, this fa very famous quote by Michel Chartrand, who's a, who's a very famous socialist trade unionist in Quebec. He said, I hate these nationalists. He called them the, the nationaleux, which is, <laughs> which is untranslatable. Uh, the nationaleux who, who vow to protect the French language, but let uh, the French people die. And he was basically attacking the bourgeois that pretend to defend French, but attack the French workers and all workers. And this is what you see with these, these right-wing bourgeois nationalists. So what do we say? Well, we say, you know, massive funding for all schools, free education for both Francophones and Anglophone schools. And on the question of language at work, um, you know, we should have no discrimination in hiring. And if an employee needs to, to learn French, the, the French classes should be paid by the bosses on working hours. I don't know, six months or you know, 12 months, 20 hours a week, paid by the bosses to learn the language of, of the majority. And we're not opposed to people learning French. Of course, in Quebec, 80, 90% people speak French. Most people will have to learn French for, for work, for the social life. But, uh, you know, and, and many Anglophones that I know, they, they would want to learn French, but it costs a fortune and they don't have time. So we say we should massively expand resources in learning all the languages necessary, more often than not French, paid by the bosses. And I guarantee you that François Legault and other nationalists will not want that because these demands are incompatible with capitalism. Capitalism cannot afford free education, massive funding of Francophone and other schools, French classes paid by the bosses. They can't afford that. So but we need to raise this demand to cut across the nationalist divisions on this question. And another one is no to bureaucratic measures against immigrants and other people. This doesn't help at all learning French to impose it through a state bureaucracy. It actually just creates resentment and you know, entrenches the two peoples. So, so we're against these, these measures. And yeah, so we fight for nationalization, take over the commanding heights of the economy and massively uh, fund 
schools and and language classes. And another thing in Quebec, the 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 school system is divided on linguistic lines. You have anglophone schools, francophone schools, and in my opinion, and this goes straight back to Lenin. There's no reason for this. Why why is this? Why is, why can't you have schools with you know some classes in French, some in English, some in other languages of the community, some in indigenous language? You have all the kids interacting with each other. And we all know that kids at a very young age can learn all sorts of language. They're, they're like a sponge. They just absorb what's around them, including language. And, and this is a positive when people know many languages. Everybody can attest to that. It's, it's a richness. It brings it, and it exposes you to various cultures. And we should favor that. Now, there's no reason to have the, you know, English students in one school, French students in the other. Uh, this just creates two people that never interact with each other. We should have just one education system with classes in the language of, of the people of various communi- communities, which I've said many times, more often than not would be French and that would be just fine. And I think through these socialist measures, the oppression will fade away and you will have a massing flowering of culture in all languages. And this is what we need to fight for. Yeah, thank you. I think that explains it well. And I think a big takeaway from what you said is the left, and this is why we emphasize class, 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 extremely important for the left. What the left means is the interest of the working class, in my opinion, finance, capitalism, the interest in the working class. And it doesn't mean we don't care about issues of language or national oppression or other issues of oppression, but it means that we must take a class approach because you can't, I also believe there is no solution to the language question, the question of national oppression under capitalism. What it, what that means is there is no solution with one group oppressing the others. Maybe people think, oh, the, the, the solution is we just, uh, we just force French on people enough it will solve the question. It's never, you think there's ever going to be a solution there. It's also not a solution for people to say, oh, forget about it. And just, we'll just have English imperialism steamroll Quebec like it did in the past. There is no solution on this basis either. So why you need a class question is that the left, and I think that's what we argue, Quebec Solidaire and the trade unions need to put forward positions, as you've outlined here, that force the capitalists to say that they don't want to put money towards this. They won't put money towards French courses. I learned French in Quebec, not from the government. (laughs) Actually, generally, I had to pay for it and had to do it in the evening while I was working minimum wage. And I think that's the situation for a lot of poor Anglos and immigrants. Whereas we say, look, the capitalists pay for it. You've solved the national question on the backs of the capitalists, not on the backs of the immigrants or on the backs of the Anglophones. You're not gonna solve it that way. So yeah, a class-based solution, an internationalist-based solution. We are against oppression. Uh, we fight against oppression with working class methods. Um, yeah, and, and if I can say a, a little something on this, I think this is also the uh, I didn't mention explicit. I didn't mention it explicitly, but I think this is the best way to cut across what the CAC is doing. What US is doing ultimately will not work. They won't win from this. They they only enable the right wing nationalists to to put forward their ideas and divide people. I think putting forward these class measures it cuts across the fog that the right wing nationalists in particular have been been throwing it in the eyes of people. And, and yes, you can unite the working class. And I think as Marxist socialist revolutionaries, uh, as I am myself from, from the oppressed nation in Quebec, or our propaganda must insist 
on fighting against oppression, but against our own ruling class, represented by the CAC in particular. We fight against our own bourgeois, and we try to unite workers from all backgrounds against this government. And anything that, that strengthens this unity is progressive. And in the meantime, yes, we, we should... We should strive to build unity across the Canadian state uh, with workers of, of the rest of the country as well. This is the internationalist position, but I think in Quebec in particular, this is sorely missing, but it is desperately needed in the left, that this class position against the CAC and to unite the working class behind the socialist program, unite the working class of all backgrounds, of all origins. This should be the center of our propaganda. And this is the best way to fight the CAC in my opinion. Yeah, so I guess to turn it around then, that we fight back and La Post Socialist, the international Marxist tendency, we are, we are an international Marxist organization and we have comrades in Canada, in English Canada and in Quebec, and we are fighting against oppression, exploitation, we are fighting against, uh, against reactionary laws implemented in any province, <laughs> oppressing any layer of the population. We are also fighting against the federal government. Uh, we are fighting against the capitalists, no matter what language they speak. However, we are, this is an English-Canadian podcast. It, it is important, I think, to, to, to come back to the approach, uh, the approach of, of Marxists in English Canada, of revolutionaries in English Canada must be, uh, and you always need to be careful in discussions like this, the, the guns must not be aimed at uh, denouncing nationalism, Quebecois nationalism. Our, we must aim our fire at uh, an opposition to oppression, right? We oppose oppression. We oppose impression of the Quebecois. We oppose, we oppose any, any attempts by the federal government to oppress the Quebecois people, which has happened over... We've explained the history. Uh, we oppose the federal state. Actually, a big problem... In the Canadian English Canadian labor movement, this goes back to English Canadian labor leaders. The CCF of Tommy Douglas even had problems on this. It's even in the name, the Canadian Commonwealth Federation. Uh, the NDP. What I'm referring to is a, is a kind of a reverence and a, almost a support for the Canadian federal state. We are Marxists. This is not our state. This is not our government. We do not support the federal Canadian state. Uh, no concessions to Anglo chauvinism. Uh, we fight against any amount of Quebec bashing, or as we mentioned earlier, try to try to play this off as a Quebec phenomenon, or that Quebec is particularly racist or oppressive. It is not, uh, and as I hope we have described today, uh, and uh, yeah, we we as English Canadian Marxists, any English Canadian revolutionaries need to need to fight and need to fight against any imposition on the Quebecois people uh, and against the federal state in order to fight for working class unity. So our comrades in Quebec, a francophone Marxists, are fighting against the bourgeois nationalists, fighting against Bill 96, fighting in the movement to have a class-based approach, an internationalist class-based approach on this. And we in English Canada are fighting against the oppression of Quebec, fighting against Anglo-chauvinism, any imposition from the federal state. Federal state is saying they might be char uh, challenging uh, some of these laws in the in the Supreme Court. There are articles all the time in the National Post, uh, in other bourgeois journals saying, oh, this is 
is such a, a Quebec problem. Uh, uh, Canada is such a bastion for freedom and democracy, except for Quebec. Which is a joke. The entire history of Canada is, as a is a is a is a brutal, horrible oppression of Indigenous people up until today. It's not it's not something of the past. And and the current history of Canada or the current Canadian government is an imperialist nation. Is an imperialist government uh, that is uh, engaging in imperialist war uh, support in one way, shape, or form all over the world in many different places. It's the little brother of America. So don't try to claim that oh Canada is wonderful except for Quebec. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the first thing first for English Canadian Marxists is to fight against our own government, our own bourgeoisie, and any attempts to oppress the people of Quebec. Yeah, and to fight against any Anglo chauvinism or anything like that, any Quebec bashing, uh, in order to, so that we can unite the working class, uh, Francophones, Anglophones, uh, immigrants, Indigenous, to fight... Uh, to fight against the Canadian state, to fight for a revolutionary transformation of society, which is only possible with that working class unity, and to fight for a voluntary union of a socialist Canada with a socialist Quebec, united with a socialist world. And that is what we are fighting for. You have been listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution where we analyze the events of the class struggle, the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca and we will be doing this podcast every week. So we hope that you tune in again.